part two, where finally my co-host David Reilly gets his turn in the spotlight as he discusses his job in digital marketing. Our guest Misty Amadi is still with us, so let's get right into it. I work here um, on the central coast of Loiwai for a, a smaller digital agency called GBD. There's about 10, 15 of us there, and we mainly, besides doing graphic design for local clients around the area, we also focus and fully launched all um, retirement living developments. It's a weird niche, yeah. So I know it's strange. So um, anything that is like aged care and retirement villages. So before it's built to when it's launched, we manage that. So that's everything from building their websites, designing their brochures, handling their electronic mailouts, handling their physical mailouts, radio advertising, television commercials, DVDs, um, photography shoots, um, website analytics and reporting, just this whole spectrum is what we kind of handle in this small miniature agency. So. <laughs> It has its positives and its negatives because I'm learning a lot of different things at once, which can also feel like I'm completely stretched all over the place at times. But um, yeah. So when we do a we when we do a photo shoot, for example, we'll go on site and it'll be my job to produce it and arrange all of the age 60 plus talent screen through 100 plus applications, arrange for them all to be on time, set up a shot list, call all 20. 30 different locations my boss wants to shoot at, get them to sign release forms, get all that set up, schedule everything. Um, that's one aspect of it. I do a lot of our photo and occasionally video editing. I fill in for our website person when she is unavailable or you know people need a little bit of code here and there. I handle our office IT. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You know the server when it breaks down, pretty much. Um, let me keep going because I <laughs> and I handle our website. I do all the website analytics and reporting when we have campaigns going on. Um, I do some quoting and budgeting, but I try to encourage them to keep me away from that those areas. <laughs> wow! So you have like a lot vast experience, but basically, did you have to learn all this on the job as well? Like, um, um, I've always. I think even just from college, I made a. I'm not going to tell you where to find them, but I made a lot of like silly YouTube videos and so on, which might exist in cyberspace somewhere. And I learned a lot of um, just video and digital photography stuff out of my own interest. Have you really? Okay. Um, just you know, not like I'm going to look up look it up now, but like if I was <laughs> to look it up now, what would I be looking up for? Um, we'll, we'll we'll do this off the record. How about that? Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> but well, I learned a lot of, like, I learned how to use Final Cut Pro, um, Photoshop, um, to extent InDesign and Illustrator inside, use them to design worksheet, worksheets and video lessons in school all the time. And that kind of carried over to help get me a, a job down the lines, I guess. So, yeah. Okay. It, it was great in Japan because they're astounded. Wow, imagine a teacher using... A laptop hooked up to a projector. That was that was high tech and, and not gonna work. <laughs> it's high tech in Kobe. So <laughs> we had a, we had an office of like 15 projectors, and I was the only one using them. Like, 
Yeah, mm. my favorite tidbit when I interview, they're like, oh, tell me something fancy about your experience in Japan. I was like, so every day I would fax my lesson plans to the school I was going to the next day. And they were like, fax? You mean scan or type? I was like, no, literally on the fax machine. And they're like, weren't you just there a couple years ago? And I was like, yep. Like, I'm pretty sure whatever ALT is there now probably still faxes the lesson plans between schools. I would say I got some useful experience because then I used a lot of that opportunity just to do like some video. I got a like a terrible laptop in Japan, but it was enough to kind of edit videos. So I did some video editing and video lessons there, and um, I also got a bit of my IT experience there because I could out computer the computer teacher at school. <laughs> <laughs> it's like he tried to block YouTube or something on the firewall or something like that, and I just like came in. <laughs> And I set up like a, a VPN back to my house, and I just sat there like downloading videos. He's like, "How did you do that?" I'm like, "Don't worry about it. I use these for lessons." <laughs> Your move, sir. Yes. Uh, yeah, that's that's where a lot of from my experience helped. I was able to pick up these things and so on. But I didn't have a master's degree or certification, but I could be like, "Hey, I know how to do this." So. Mm. Right. Um, was it easy to find a job after Japan or? No, no. <laughs> it's like, I had a, I had a couple lofty ideas of what I wanted to do, and I think I felt a little hit in reality coming back because I, I stayed for far longer than anyone. I stayed for a full five years. I loved it too much, and I enjoyed snowboarding too much in Nagano. So that's my thing. But um, no, I came back and I was really, I was really excited. I was like, you know, what, I'm gonna join digital marketing and I'm going to jump in and I'm getting a job with like Nike or Burton and I'm going with like a you know high active sports company or an outdoors thing. Great idea but there's just... You went not. the opposite way. <laughs> right, right. There's no openings. I probably shot off between March like the before I left and until I got a job in December I probably shot off about 100 applications, 100 and 150 maybe applications. Yeah, yeah. Um, Looking back at that, I think I should not have taken this whole gung-ho attack search for jobs and should have just relaxed and taken like a little time off instead. But um, yeah, it worked out. I just ended up, when I came back, I ended up volunteering at a refugee center and um, a bicycle co-op in Cleveland to take up my time. And the refugee center, because I just started taking people's pictures and doing write-ups and stories and some of their social media and handling their website and handling their IT, so, <laughs> wow. uh, it's like, because it, it went from volunteer to like, hey, David looks like he knows how to fix this, come here, and then they gave me a job, and so I worked there for about a year, a year or so, so. Okay, oh, so you, you uh, when you said that you were firing off applications to companies, that were, that, those were to companies in America? Yeah, yeah. And I think, looking back, I really had a little bit naive sense that, oh, I really want to live in this part of the states. Like, I was really keen on moving to Colorado or Seattle, getting back to the mountains, and still sort of am, but it was my thing, like, oh, I could just shoot these applications from the distance and just keep calling these people and pestering these people when, in reality, if in the states, I think, you just need to move there if you want to live there. Yeah, I agree. When you want to work somewhere, you got to move there unless you know someone at that company who can really vouch for you and really push you through and say, I promise he'll move to New York City if you give him this job. Or um, yeah. you got to 
put yourself there via savings or by other means, and yeah. you'll get something. You, you'll get something. Well, yeah, you'll find. But I was a little bit unconfident as to how eventually someone will get to me. And I'm think now that I look back and I know how electronic um, application scanning systems work, I'm pretty sure they just filter out anyone who's not within like 40 miles <laughs> of a given position in the states. So. <laughs> yeah. It's often like um, the value of actually face-to-face -face networking and meeting people. I mean, this sounds very dis uh, discouraging. I don't mean to be discouraging to anyone who's listening, but yeah, you're, you're sending off applications by resume. Unless you keyword stuff your, your resume, I suppose, you, you're not going to make it through the, the uh, cyber door bitch um, <laughs> before it get, makes its way to, to a pair of human eyes. The only strategy I think I came to the conclusion is that when I was first doing it from Japan, is that I, I put too much thought and love into my cover letters and applications. <laughs> <laughs> I like got attached to the idea of working at this place to get this job, and I put all this effort into it. And really, I came to the conclusion what got me the job or what got me now was just sending a good quality application, but then calling and calling until you get a hold of the person and having a nice conversation with them on the phone. That really always just pushes it through, you know. Yeah. The human touch. A lot of the people who make these decisions, you know, they're especially in the aged, I don't know, I feel like 40, 45 plus, and they, to them a phone call is the, the best way, I think. So. I think that there's an also an interesting division sometimes on the experience of Jet. So I came straight out of undergrad. Like, I graduated in May. I was on a plane in July. Like, that was my job experience, essentially. I didn't have anything... To, to fall back on when I came back besides a couple internships and a campus job. But um, then you saw a lot of people on JET, though, that did have previous work experience before coming on JET. Um, and looking back, like, I thought I was doing a great job, but I'm pretty sure I was not very professional or, you know, not always as put together as I like to imagine that I was um, because I hadn't had that job experience. And, so I also wonder how that affects your ability to look for work when you come back. Like, I wonder if there's a difference as people come back, those who had job experience and were trying to return to that field versus straight out of undergrad or straight out of unemployment into JET um, and didn't have that <laughs> to fall back on. Like, How would you leverage your experience from JET and say, well, because of this, I did this, and what's like a valuable experience in JET? So one of the biggest things which a lot of JETs do to some capability is manage their lessons. So be it if you're at one school five days a week or at five schools, you know, different school every day, you're managing the lesson plan to a certain t level. Yeah. Um, and that shows huge organizational skills. It shows huge just like capability that you can manage and juggle all these different things at once. Um, so that's a really great thing to talk about and leverage, and I think that ties to any industry, right? If mm. you're working on a project, it does art project, write project, developing project, coding project, doesn't matter. You yeah. can show that you're organized and actually back it up instead of saying, I'm an organized individual. I, mean, I, I passed it off as project management experience, yeah. which I think I coordinated... You know, I did all of my lesson plans for elementary school, junior high school. I coordinated school-wide events and so on. Like, when was the last yeah. time some people did an event for 300 kids? I've done it. <laughs> like, you know, exactly. No. Yeah, so, adults, too. So you can, you know. It's huge. Yeah. 
Cobated International Days where we would invite other ALTs to our schools. And that was definitely a huge point on my resume to say I organized, you know, one of those. I've been involved in organizing multiple of those. And like you said, logistical skills, project management skills. Um, and then the other part, if you're not comfortable talking about that, I found that just showing that you're willing to move to a foreign country in general mm. is a huge talking point. Um, it shows that you go after what you want. You obviously wanted to work abroad. You wanted to be a teacher in Japan. You applied to this super rigorous thing, and you got it. That's mm. huge. Yeah. And um, talking about, so you apply, and you fought for it, and just working in a foreign environment. Um, especially at a company like IBM, I work with people in India. You work with people in the UK, Australia, and saying, I've, I managed for two years in a country where I didn't speak the language, and I don't think I upset too many people. That's a huge thing to show that <laughs> culturally I can adapt to the situation that I'm in. Oh, I'd just like to add to that then, too. It's, that's, that is just a universal selling point of JET. It should be, and any... I guess going from all the, the trials and failures that jobs, which any employer who does not appreciate that or think that valuable is probably a place you wouldn't want to work anyway. That's yeah, yeah. I think Jets it's part of, especially if you've been there more than two years, it's part of your career growth. And if you want to, summer, like on my resume, it takes up a pretty hearty chunk because I think it relates to a lot of what I do. Mm. But if you think it's worth two lines, keep it there. Just, you know, summarize what you think There's that one. one yeah. Yeah, and I don't know, I would say then too, again, if there, there is a good chance that, like, I'm trying to think if I was on the other end and I'm in a position where I'm hiring something, which we all may be in the future or if not already, we would find that interesting. I would want to know more about it, right? Mm. And there's like, so many alums. There's so many Jet alums out there now, too. You never also, know. you're facing the wall of, like, a person on the hiring end who's grumpy and who's never lived abroad, which I find, or has little interest in the international outside world, well, again, it might not. It yeah, might not. how frustrating would it be trying to uh, get along with work colleagues who can't understand where you're coming from and, you know, probably won't respect you. It's like, you've been overseas? Well, whoop-de-doo, good for you kind of thing, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, I, there's a little, I, I felt a little bit of backlash of, so some of that in the states in some ways, but um, when you meet people who have that common shared experience, it's definitely value. Exactly. Yeah. I I think I got a couple when I was applying for retail. Like I, I had worked a little bit of retail in undergrad, um, so it had helped. But I remember one of my interviews, the guy was like, "I just want to talk about Japan. Like you proved that you can work retail. Like let's take up the next fifteen minutes to talk about Japan." I was like, "Yeah, <laughs> awesome." Um, so you never know, like. I don't know. I agree. And so, like, for especially for, like, a company like IBM, we're mm -hmm. huge, and we like to – IBM is really interested in especially, like, millennial talent and then wanting to foster that talent through the long run and not do that, you know, oh, I want to switch companies in two years type of thing. Mm. And definitely showing that I've worked abroad successfully and that I still am interested in doing it again is another angle that you can take, especially for a company that's so big and so global where I told, I remember during the interview process, they were like, well, would you work abroad again? I was like, 110%. Do you need me in Europe? I'll go. Do you need me in Australia? I'll go. Do you need me back in Japan? I'll go. Um, and it's surprising also a lot of people don't have that desire, like you mentioned, or flexibility. Yeah, 
lot of people will, to me it's shocking, but I guess people just say, no, I don't want to move anywhere. I just want to stay here. Yeah. Um, I'd say it, it doesn't seem to manifest itself as much here in Australia, but in the States there is kind of, I don't know, at least where I'm from in the States, there is kind of an attitude where I'm not really interested or just going to, you know. Yeah. I, I live, so I'm from California, and I think Californians, we tend to maybe be a little bit more adventurous, but definitely in Texas. Like, I meet so many people here, and they're like, this is it. What more do you Texas is the best place in the world, yeah. It's own country. Why would I want to go anywhere else? What are your thoughts about, you know, getting into the industry? Ideally, you're taking something you like and some of that into work, and so... Meaning my current job, for example, is my, my boss is a giant photography geek, for lack of a better word. So, you know, showing, showing him I can bring up my website where I've had up-to-date photos and have a decent portfolio and have some of my strange video projects up there really, really helped out. So I think it's sometimes hard to motivate yourself to build some do some of these things in large quantity, whether it's writing, photography, or so on, on your free time. But if you, yeah, if you keep a collection of them, which I need to do actually, and just and have them ready to show someone in that kind of situation. It, it really, really helps. And not to say that can trump. Um, I hate using that word, but not to say that can <laughs> overtake, overpower. Um, actually, that's huge. That's huge. Master's degree. <laughs> but I think there's definitely some value. So that if you can. You know, say, hey, look, you know, I look at all these photo photographs I've taken. This is how many people have been, viewed my website or liked them and so on. So. Yeah, I think even in the master's program, like, the people who see the most success in those things are people who have the other outside sources that they're leveraging when they go and interview. You're not necessarily just relying on your pedigree and saying, oh, I have a degree from this place. Hire me. You're showing mm -hmm. that you're passionate and have skills from outside. It's really important. I would also... The last thing to add for someone that's interested in marketing, um, there's so many online courses. There's so many different types of programs. Some are free. Some are paid. I've taken, like, an Excel class online because I, I realized I, like, didn't know how to use Excel very well. Hmm. Um, that's, you know, 10 bucks to invest in yourself. Um, so when you can put that confidently on your resume, proficient in Excel um, and not lie about it. Or now, especially in marketing, there's so many classes online that are popping up that are, you know, social media planning 101, mm. blogging 101, building a brand class, um, content writing classes, copywriting classes. And I, I mean, I guess I don't know, maybe in Japan if you can't access them, but even if you're home after um, you come back from Japan and you're just looking for things to do, those are easy, usually a couple hours of your time um, with minimal financial investment that can help build those skill sets. Yeah. So then you can go build that website or go build that portfolio. Um, yeah, and then, uh, everyone knows that. I mean, there's anything from what um, Coursera, I think Udemy, then Khan Academy, there's there's heaps of free yeah. things in there. And I don't even, even I didn't hesitate to, I think I even put it on my resume, like, because sometimes I feel like learning by these courses and sometimes I don't. And, you know, I put, a, I put a couple lists of the books. I, I read two books on Final Cut, and I thought, you know what? These are both, like, 100-page books. This counts as a certification, right? <laughs> the same amount of effort would have gone into a class, right? Actually learning and applying knowledge. Yeah. yeah, I think yeah. if you find something you like, you're going to be wanting to put that time into it. 
you know, yeah. bringing back to like how I realized marketing, I liked it. I wanted to put that time into it. And if anything, Japan gives you this opportunity to reflect on yourself and where you see, I, you know, where you see yourself after Japan and you think about everything you left behind to come there. And I think it's a great opportunity to, to take and seize that opportunity to look at what's important to you in your future career. Yeah. And also as a bit of a plug for like Jet AA, like um, certainly for my job that I'm currently in, after the company that I was in actually went bust, I took that I had another break and I built my chapter's website in WordPress. I decided to do a theme from scratch, which meant learning PHP enough to to manipulate PHP in the code, and uh, that was what I used in my uh, interview and my submission for the job, which you know, got me my job. If you're looking for like a project to do, maybe you can get in contact with your local JDA chapter and see what you can do for them. Um, I was th going back to what you, you said earlier, Misty, I thought this was a genius way to like figure out, like, what do I like? What am I interested in? Because it can actually be a hard question to answer. Exactly. Just looking yeah. at your search history over the past, like, you know, a couple of months and just scrolling down, you're like, okay, besides, you know, Facebook or your email or whatever, you're sinking your time in. What is what is what are all the other things that you seem to be looking at online? And okay. My search history which just, you know, makes someone go blind, but never mind. <laughs> yeah, it's sometimes the answer is right in front of you, right? You just aren't looking at it the right way. So Yeah. I, I'm optimistic that a lot of uh, people are, are intelligent anyway. And they, they kind of know the answer, but they sort of have to uncover the, the answer for themselves, I guess, or, or sort of, what's the word, I guess, be convinced that that's the answer that they're looking for. You know, exhaust other, all other possibilities. I mean, the journey is the important thing, really. And, um, and I think a lot of people stress out. They think about uh, the timing. Oh my God, I need to get a job right now, and I'm wasting my time. It was jet was such a huge waste of my life. You know, what did I do? Kind of stuff. And it's not jet's not a huge waste. Of yeah, you, you do have to get over that if you're coming back. And like, I had a few moments like that, but you know, you're just gonna have to accept those decisions. You, you, yeah, I said I have friends that after undergrad went straight into a company and. They may be there and they may be managers or they're doing different things. And I said, you know, if I didn't go take those two years or if I didn't have, I hadn't done mm -hmm. that for three years, I could be there. But, yeah, you have to – you can't think like that. You made, you made a decision. You went. And now you're like, well, that was a great chapter and let's just keep moving forward. And what you were saying about, like, it's a journey and uncovering it just made me think how important it is as you leave to stay in touch with other Jets that are leaving. Um, or other mm -hmm. jets have already left, and mm -hmm. just talk to them, even or just text them, yeah. or just just be in touch. Um, every it's a struggle. Even that guy who like landed his job and bought a house as soon as he came back from Japan, like he's still struggling. Yeah, my strategy for that, me and Sarah both, because I met her in Japan. We both um Sunday is like. Email someone you haven't talked to in a while, day. So, <laughs> but we both we both set it up on Sunday. Every Sunday, we'll write a decent two or three paragraph personalized email with a few photo attachments to someone we haven't talked to in a while, like you know one of her friends from Japan or one of mine, and it kind of keeps us slightly on. Oh, that's a really good. That's a good strategy, actually. I, like that. yeah. I might steal that. Yeah. yeah. 
part of my um, social media planning routine for my own personal brand. <laughs> I was going to ask just what you said earlier. You said there, like working in Japan, um, like made you helped you to decide that oh maybe I don't really want to be a teacher. Not to like say it as a negative sign, but were there any like specific crucial memories or turning points like be specific where you thought oh, I don't know if I want to teach like that it helped, that the JET program helped guide well, you in that direction. I think what really did it for me that Japan kind of showed a light on um, I like to think of myself as quite ambitious and obviously with the JET program if you stay in ALT you, there's no career growth especially I think in like that sense of like, well, I did this for two years, now I can be a manager, and then I can be a supervisor, and then I can do all these things. And it, then it made me kind of reflect back on, in the United States, the education system, mm -hmm. and that if you want to grow, you need to teach, and then become like a principal, and then become a superintendent, and that was kind of the path for career growth. Mm -hmm. And when I thought about that, I was like, I don't see myself rising to those ranks, or wanting to rise to those ranks. Yeah, uh, that, that's an interesting point, because I, I even thought about that with teaching in the States, where that there's there's been some talk about that they lose a lot of very good and passionate teachers, because after you, you know, teach for three or four or five years, yeah. so you don't want to become a principal or superintendent administrator, and plenty of people don't, then you kind of stagnate there. There's no raises, there's no, you know, there's no incentive to keep to keep going up, and there's no where you can go in some ways. Yeah. 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 So looking at Japan, I mean, in Japan, it was also very blatant being an ALT on the JET program. Like, you you could become the elementary school liaison at the Board mm -hmm. of Education. Like, there was opportunities to grow, but those weren't necessarily, I saw for myself, as career-growing opportunities, I guess you could say. Yeah. I, I, so, so the moment the kid just sneezed snot all over your food, you're like, I don't know if I can become an elementary school teacher. Yeah, there was another one, this sweet, sweet girl um, in Ichinen. I didn't always teach, but I would often eat lunch with. That was kind of their, their compromise. Like, you don't get an English curriculum, but you get to, like, stare at the ALT eating her lunch a couple times a month. Um, like, one like, girl a, was, like, a, like a little turtle in an aquarium. Yeah. In the <laughs> exactly. Um, one little girl was so excited that I got to sit next to her. She threw up on herself. Oh. So also another moment of maybe I don't want to do this. Things are very yeah. Because I, I I rotated into elementary school, so I'd go there once a week outside of junior mm -hmm. high, teaching some adult classes. But I had I had a couple couple <laughs> interesting moments. One of well, I'm like when when they're like first or second graders, it's interesting because they don't you realize yeah. you have to realize they don't even understand Japanese at that age, right? Like so, <laughs> I remember the teacher walked out of the room and she had been gone for like four or five seconds. They'd leave me the whole class by myself often sometimes. Yeah. And one kid just runs up, jumps up into the middle of his desk and says, "Hey, everyone, look at me!" And he just drops his pants and shows his wing wong to everybody. I'm just like. <laughs> And he's like dancing at his desk, and I'm like, <laughs> I just I, I dealt with it by ignoring it, which he eventually sat down and gave up. But it lasted a good like 20 seconds. <laughs> right, that was the that was the way, especially in elementary, to deal with problems was to ignore, and that was another thing that I found interesting. And the longer I was there, um, 
the more issues sometimes I had. Sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes it works, and then other times you're like, maybe this child actually does need educational support in a way that we can't mm -hmm. give him right now. Yeah, and I had I had kids spit food on me too, you know, basically. <laughs> Like sit next to me. He was like, I think it was like some kind of curry or stew day, and he's just talking, and he's just like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're yeah. like, oh, cute. Yeah. No, that's the junior high. I was only there once a week, really, maybe for a while, twice a week. So I didn't get to know my junior high kids as well. But my story like that was uh, the baseball team with all their swagger and glory that the baseball team has at a junior high. Um, sent their most popular boy up to me to say that um, I make his pants happy. And, you know, he had to have the whole baseball team behind him to say this. Yeah. And I just looked him straight in the eye, and I was like, your pants can't be happy, bro. Like, no, your English is wrong. Like, go to your desk, try again. Like, just, like, I was like, I don't know. Pants? Happy? Like, no, wrong. And he just was <laughs> flustered, like so upset that I wasn't upset and his whole team is like, oh, it's okay, like, oh, oh like you're, you still got it. And I just, and I was like, maybe, like, again, maybe junior high is not for me. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of, my own detriment, I kind of embraced some of these things. So I'd get kids asking me all the time, especially when I first got it, David, how do you, what's Unchi? What's Unchi? And, and, um, Angus, Unchi, David, English, please. Unko, Unko, David, English, please. <laughs> Kids are to go away. I need to tell them something. So I taught them that the word for poop was squirrel. <laughs> all convinced it was squirrel. They had it all memorized and written down. And so they're running around like um, in class. They raise their hand like, I like squirrel or I have squirrel in my pants or, you know, Kota has big squirrel. <laughs> they're just going on and on. And the teacher was just like, David, why do all these kids really like, you know, squirrel? It's like, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> that is that was great. There's a generation of students now. <laughs> um, I, I feel I feel like you know for for all pre-departure orientations, this is the one strategy we should teach um, <laughs> all the students. That Misty had asked, but which I didn't properly answer at the time, was whether the after-jet experience was any different from someone like myself, who had a career prior to jet. I don't think it was too dissimilar, actually, but having had a job before meant that I had a pre-existing set of contacts and networks that I could tap into in order to get back into the workforce. Many thanks to Misty Amadi for her time and generosity in providing her insights and advice, and David Railing as well for sharing his experience and knowledge. As always, you can get in contact with me by emailing me at info at jetaansw.org. That's I-N-F-O at J-E-T-A-A-N-S-W.org. Hope to hear from you. Bye-bye.